In the season of Advent, Christians celebrate the fact that Jesus came into the world. As astonishing as it may seem, we believe that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem when Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome, God himself entered our world as a human being. But this raises an important question. Why did Jesus come into the world? We'll dig into scripture that addresses that today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And uh, today, Scott, we're in program three of a four-part Advent series. There are four Sundays in Advent always, and we kind of time these programs towards Sunday each week uh, as they're posted online. For those who wish to visit groundworkonline.com, share the link with your friends. But uh, we've been looking in this year's series at the Apostle Paul's doctrine of the Incarnation. Right. And we noted that some scholars, uh, particularly some more liberal scholars in recent centuries, have tried to make the claim that the Incarnation didn't matter to Paul. And all this Christmas hoo-ha that we celebrate every year in Luke 2 and the manger and the shepherds and the angels and all that, Paul didn't even know about that. He never refers to the Virgin Mary. He never refers to the stable in Bethlehem. So probably Christmas and what we think about at Christmas isn't that important. But not true. Paul did know about it. And we've been looking at uh, passages Two so far in Galatians and Philippians, and now today, 1 Timothy, Paul makes it clear that he knows all about the fact that the Son of God was made flesh, born of a woman, as we saw in Galatians, made a a true human uh, to be the servant of all, as we saw in Philippians 2 in the previous program. So Paul did know about this, and it is centrally important that the Son of God came into this world, was sent into this world by the Father with a very specific mission and as a true human being, which he needed to be to carry out that mission. Right. And today we're turning to a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Actually, we're going to sort of focus on just one verse, but also we'll talk about the surrounding context. Uh, This is one of Paul's pastoral epistles, so-called, because they come later in his career Uh, when he's especially concerned with how the faith is going to be passed on and how the church is going to be led when he's no longer there to do it. Right. And so he's been discipling these younger men, Timothy and Titus, and he writes personal letters to them, we believe. Uh, Some scholars question some of the uh, details of of some of them, but uh, conservative scholars believe this is Paul now as an old man nearing the end trying to make sure that these guys have what they need in order to keep the ball rolling. Right. And we call them the pastoral epistles because they were written to pastors. Timothy uh, was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. Titus uh, was a pastor on the Greek island of Crete. And so they're pastoral in that they were written to pastors uh, to help them do their work and to remind them, both of them, of the basics of the gospel which basically Paul would say, look, you'll never do better than just proclaiming the old, old story of Jesus and his love, as the old hymn says, right? So he wants to kind of keep them on task. And because, and we'll see this in this program, because these uh, were probably the last letters Paul wrote, 
And again, some think maybe some disciples of Paul finished them even after he had died. But the point being, there had been development in the early church. So in the previous program, we saw that there was already a song about Jesus, a hymn somebody had written that Paul quoted back to the Philippians. They already knew the song, so he referred to it. But there also was a development of trustworthy sayings, short little creed-like statements. Remember, back in the early church, there was nothing written down. Nobody had their own personal copy of the Bible. There were no catechisms or tracts or little pieces of paper you could put in your pocket. You had to memorize things. And so the early church developed these little pithy sayings that summed up the gospel. And in the pastoral epistles, Paul quite a few times says, now here's a trustworthy saying. You've, right. you've heard this, and now I'm going to give you my stamp of approval. And in First Timothy, there's uh, really an important one for our Advent consideration. Right. So we've we've actually done a whole Groundwork series on five trustworthy sayings from the pastorals, and you can look that up in the archives. But here's uh, what Paul says about one of the most important of them in First Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, there's that word, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15 here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So the trustworthy saying part, right, the, the little saying that had been circulating is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Boom, period. That's yeah. the gospel. <laughs> there That's it is. the gospel in about 10 words. It's also uh, pointing clearly to the incarnation. And and we'll get at that in a moment. But first, let's just think a little bit and talk a little bit about that word trustworthy. Paul says he was found to be trustworthy by Christ despite his sinfulness, uh, his uh, opposition uh, to Christianity at first, to the gospel. That's on clear display in the early chapters of the book of Acts. But the question is, how do you know when some saying or statement is trustworthy? And boy, if there ever was a question that was important in our time, in this year of craziness, of uh, COVID, and of um, racial disharmony, uh, to, to say the least, and of political uh, upheaval and, and opposition and, and hatred and, and conspiracy theories all over the... How do you know when something's trustworthy? Fake news uh, has been uh, in the common parlance for some years now. Um, and uh, uh, false messages coming in, uh, you know, maybe even bad actors from the outside posting stuff on Facebook to draw people to... How do you know it's true? Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to know. But biblically, we can trust the words of the apostles and their testimony. In fact, 
For 2,000 years now, Dave, the church has been built on the foundation of what the apostles taught. When we did our series not long ago on the Apostles' Creed, we said we call it the Apostles' Creed because it reflects their teachings. And there's a very simple truth that, that we just have to acknowledge. If we've been wrong about that, if the apostles were wrong, then the church has been wrong for 2,000 years, and there's really no point to it. We could just close up shop tomorrow and call it good and become secular. That's how important the teachings of the apostles were. But we confess they got it right. And so when Paul says this is trustworthy, I'm putting my stamp of approval on this little saying that's been going around. You can believe it. You can take that one to the bank. That is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. It's as simple as that. But it's as majestic as that. And so uh, as we continue to think about that trustworthy saying from 1 Timothy 1, uh, we'll explore some more of the implications of that, and we'll do it in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose, and we are in the third program of our four-part Advent series for the four weeks of Advent this year, looking at passages in Paul where the what we celebrate at Christmas, the Son of God being made human, is celebrated. And uh, we're today in 1 Timothy, a pastoral epistle. Timothy is a pastor, and Paul is writing to Timothy to remind him of the fundamentals of what he needs to keep preaching. Right. There in the city of Ephesus, a city that we know, by the way, where Timothy was the pastor, with a lot of competing spiritual ideas. We're going to see that in the final program of this series in Colossians as well, the city of Colossa. Most of the big cities in the Greco-Roman world in the first century when the church was born were a hotbed of competing spiritualities. Uh, Ephesus was no different. I think there was a giant temple there to Artemis or Diana um, that was known throughout the world. So Paul needs to say to Pastor Timothy, here are the basics. Keep preaching them. Yeah. So we talked a little bit in the opening segment about how you know if someone or something is trustworthy uh, and that you can believe it. You can accept it. You can even stake your life on it, which is what we do with this trustworthy saying, yeah. uh, uh, the essence of the gospel. We're stake, we're betting our lives on this, folks, that it's true. One thing that's important is, is the person an honest person? And certainly Paul was. Uh, Again, uh, look at his career in the New Testament. He he lived what he taught and believed. And secondly, though, does he know what he's talking about? Because a person may be honest, and they may be basically trustworthy. They have integrity, but maybe they're wrong. They're honestly mistaken. But no, Paul knew because Jesus had appeared to him and given him the authority to explain the gospel, to state the truth. So it's trustworthy, and it begins with this, Christ Jesus came into the world. Now, that's an interesting phrase in itself, and it's one that maybe we would sometimes use perhaps in a birth announcement. You might say, 
proud parents send out this message uh, to all their family and friends. Little Emily came into the world at 9 p.m. on October the 2nd, and she weighed 7 pounds and 12 ounces or whatever the, the case may be. Uh, so we may talk like that, but really all we mean by that is that someone was born. Uh, with Paul, Scott, I think there's a little bit more behind it than just that. Yeah, he was born. All right, We saw that in Galatians in program one of this series, born of a woman. Yeah, he was born, but Christ Jesus came into the world. I mean, that's basically saying God came into God's own creation and became a creature, became a part of that creation in a way that had never happened before. Ordinarily, we in Christian theology, we we always try to make sure there's enough daylight between God and the creation. There is such a thing called pantheism, where we believe that, you know, all is divine. No, no, no. We say there's the divine God who created the universe, and the universe is separate from God. And there's also a version called panentheism, which says sort of the world exists inside God. But even there, orthodoxy says, no, there's, there's a separation. God is not identical with the earth or any part of creation. But here, the creator becomes a creature, yeah. comes into the world. Yeah, babies come into the world the normal way all the time. Like you just said, little Emily came into the world. But now it's God coming into the world as a true human being. That never happened before. There had to be an awfully important reason for that to happen. And that comes next in the trustworthy saying. Yeah, right. To save sinners. Right. So we'll look, we'll look at that in a moment, but think again about this phrase came into the world. That implies he came from someplace else. He came from the Godhead, wherever God is, which we traditionally call heaven. And that implies that he chose to do this. His coming was voluntary. All of this sets him apart from us. There's no evidence that some people have believed that all souls are preexistent and God just sort of has them with him in heaven and he drops them into a body when, when a little child is born. There's no evidence for that in Scripture. No. That's speculative. Our lives begin when they begin. Uh, but Jesus' life was preexisting, as we know from the New Testament. So his coming actually was a decision on his part, and it implies all the truth about him, as we've seen uh, in Philippians, about his glory and his deity. And actually, Jesus himself says something like this in John chapter 6, where he says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. Now, that's a beloved passage for us Christians, right? But let's admit that if, uh, Dave, if you or I or anybody listening to this program, if tomorrow we ran into somebody at the mall and they said, you know what? I've come down from heaven. Yeah. I have a, I'm on a mission from God. Yeah. <laughs> We'd uh, take a few steps back and say, okay, well, social distancing, it's a good idea with this person. That's, that's a loopy way to talk. And if you remember in John 6, Jesus will also go on to say that because of who he is coming down from heaven, his flesh and, and blood are true food and drink. Yeah, for eternal life. And most of the disciples, most of the wider group of disciples who had been following Jesus left him. Yeah, uh, because this was just not a normal way to talk. You don't talk about, well, I came down from heaven. Um, no. Uh, so this is either completely true 
or it means Jesus yeah. was insane. Yeah, right. uh, I mean, C.S. Lewis said, make your choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a, a human being doesn't talk like this, as you point out. If I'm, if I'm going to introduce myself, I, I'd say I came from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Jesus says, no, I came from heaven. Paul says he came into the world. Uh, it was a divine act of love, of self-humbling, of serving. And he came, Paul says, to save. And we'll think more about that and unpack it a bit in just a moment. This December, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, join Today Devotional to look at questions often asked about God the Father, Jesus, the Bible, prayer, and the church. Then we'll listen carefully to what the Bible says to answer these questions. If you've been searching for answers, these devotions will help you reflect thoughtfully and draw you closer to the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Join today in December for a series of devotions titled Questions, Questions. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork and this third program in the four-part Advent series to go along with the four weeks of Advent this year, where we are looking at passages in the Apostle Paul's letters where he refers to Jesus becoming a human being. And we're in 1 Timothy, where Paul quotes a trustworthy saying. And again, we think these were short little creeds that the early Christians were sharing with each other so they could be memorized easily, carry them in their heads, and they express the essence of the gospel. Again, in a day when you had no written materials of any kind, what you knew about the gospel was what you could remember. And so it's easy to remember something short, like... Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Almost anybody can remember that. Right. And it's the gospel. But that is the, uh, that's the saying. But then in what we read earlier, uh, Paul then adds on to it, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Yeah. I am the worst sinner. If I can get saved, anybody can get saved. So we can wonder about that a little bit, about Paul kind of becoming autobiographical here. But it also gets at, indeed, the core reason why Christ Jesus came down from heaven and became a human being. You know, Scott, there was a famous theological work from the Middle Ages, probably one of the most famous treatises written by an English bishop named Anselm, titled in Latin, Cur Deus Homo, Mm -hmm. Why Did God Become a Man? And that's the base question here that Paul's been answering all through these passages that we've been looking at in this series on the Incarnation. Why did God become a true and real human being? Really God, really human. And as we've seen, it was to take on the burden of the law so that he could keep it for us, even to pay the penalty of sin, which is death, to abolish the curse that was on lawbreakers. It was to show us his humility in accepting this lowering of himself and giving up his privileges to sort of set us an example. Next time, we're going to look at the incredible passage in Colossians chapter 1 where he's described as the firstborn over all things, uh, all things hold together. But here, Paul puts it more succinctly than anywhere else to save sinners and, by the way, If anyone was a sinner, I sure was. And it might make you kind of scratch your head. Now, you know, yeah, Paul was persecuting the church, and that's what he's talking about. I was blaspheming. I was, he must have said terrible things about Jesus, Mm. this supposed man. We just talked about how the things Jesus said and claimed were crazy if he were only a human. Paul once believed 
that exact thing. Exactly. That he was just human, and so they were crazy. Uh, I often have wondered if Paul ever had nightmares of when he was Saul of Tarsus, dragging women away by their hair for confessing Jesus, beating up men, standing by while Stephen, the first deacon, was stoned to death, and he grinned through it. He approved of it, we're told in the book of Acts. He must have had, we talk about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Once he met the living Jesus, and if you remember the Damascus Road, Jesus' first question to Saul was, why? Why have you been doing all this? Uh, Why have you been persecuting me? (laughs) Jesus identified so closely with his followers that Jesus said, you've been persecuting me, not just these other people that you've been hauling off to jail. And the irony, of course, as he writes in several different places, including Philippians, is that at the time, he thought he was more righteous than God. Oh, yeah. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was Mr. Hebrew. He was perfect. And then he met Jesus, and he said, you know what? All my credentials are a pile of manure, he says in Philippians 3. Uh, That's how unimportant it is compared to the shining love of Jesus. So he did, uh, was deeply, deeply ashamed. But he he uses himself here. And, you know, a a rule we always say in seminary is if you're going to talk about yourself in a sermon, it had better only be because others can identify with you so that you're not just putting yourself out there as the preacher. Well, that's what Paul does here. Yeah, he, he mentions himself, but only to say, but dear reader, Timothy, tell your people, if Jesus could love me anyway, he can sure love you and everybody. So rejoice in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great rule for any preacher or person for that matter. If you're going to talk about yourself, don't put yourself on a pedestal, but be vulnerable and reveal your your brokenness, your flaws. And that's what Paul does here. But it raises the question, really, what do what do you think of when you hear that word sinner? You know, I'm guessing that many of us think of some kind of horrible person, a mass murderer or a a child predator or, uh, you know, some evil dictator. You think of Hitler or Stalin or somebody like that. But maybe you ought to think of yourself first and foremost. I mean, Paul was a highly respectable person. Mm. Most of those who knew him then would have said, yeah, look at what a model Paul is. He's religious. He's pious, he's devout, he's learned, he's smart. Yeah, he was a young man on the rise, but no, I was a sinner in all that. Again, a lot of people complain about Christianity. because Why are you always talking about sinners? Why are you so negative? Don't you know that we're really divine inside? That's kind of the attitude of many in the world, uh, sort of a new age thing. You're all gods, we're told. No, as Christians who are faithful to the scriptures, we have to insist on this word sinner for ourselves. Wasn't it John Calvin who said, I see the word sinner and I see my name fitting right in there? I mean, you know, sort of uh, any sinners here? Yeah, present. Uh, Hello, that's me. And we needed, uh, whether we want to describe ourselves as the worst of sinners like Paul did, we need the complete grace of Jesus to be saved. We are not going to get there ourselves. We talked about that in the first program. The Galatians had come to think they could help get themselves saved. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Jesus did it all. And if you're not 100% in with Jesus, you're still lost. You're still in your sins. And, uh, you know, one of the things about sin, Dave, is that has traditionally been taught is that sin alienates us from God. And if God is our creator and the only true source of life, you're alienated from God, you're cut off from life. Yeah. Who can help us with that? Well, 
Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners. Absolutely. In fact, uh, Paul has a famous verse in Romans 5, Romans 5, verse 8, where he says, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. Scott, I know you know uh, the very gifted preacher of our time, Fleming Rutledge, who's published a number of books of sermons. And in her sermon on that verse, Romans 5, verse 8, she says, I see myself in that word sinner. And boy, I can identify with that. If you can too, then you need to know this, that Christ came for you. That's what Christmas is all about. Right. That's what the story leads up to. Yeah, it starts in the stable, but it ends on the cross. And it was for you. Uh, and the only way I think you can probably miss out on this incredible story of love and grace is by refusing to see yourself in that word sinner and thinking, no, I don't really need it. Uh, But if you do, if you feel it, then thanks be to God, Jesus came into the world exactly for you. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Dave Bast. Please join us again next time as we conclude our Advent study of Jesus' incarnation by digging into Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com, our website. Share what Groundwork means to you and make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.